Welcome to Cinemondo Explorers Star Trek with Kathy, Mark, and Burke. Today's episode, Dagger of the Mind, Stardate 2715.1. And you just heard the dulcet tones of Mr. Burke Sauls, <laughs> visual the effects, what? dulcet, oh. or mellifluous. Oh. A doll, uh, what? <laughs> not dull. No. <laughs> um... Burke creates visual effects for movies and TV shows, and he wrote the music for, well, he writes a lot of music, but he also writes the intro to our wonderful podcasts. And that beautiful intro for Burke's <laughs> ah. performed by Mark Asnavorian, screenwriter, film producer. My God, what does he not do? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> and the lovely vocal stylings you just heard were Kathy, who is a uh, award-winning something or other. What does she do again? Is she like a... What is it again? She's like, does some draw... She draws pictures or something? You know, we would never... No one would ever believe we actually have these things written down. I know. <laughs> no, she's a... Kathy is a... Read, you have to read them. That's the problem. Uh, Kathy is a... Uh, our... Our... Oh, oh award-winning... No, she's an award-winning creative director. That's what it is. And uh. someone who creates the um, the beautiful posters and advertising that we see um, making us, forcing us, compelling us to go see tricking our favorite you. movies. Yeah, tricking you. <laughs> propagandizing you into uh-huh. wanting to go see your favorite movies and TV shows. Kathy is responsible for that propaganda and is really I good think- at it. <laughs> she's also a huge... What some people use the word avid to describe her love of horror films. She loves horror movies, but all, also, you know, we always stress that she loves the horror movies, but she likes other kinds of movies too. She likes I scary love- movies and monster movies and uh, slasher films and um, and, uh, and ghost s- movies ghost. and monster movies and, and serial killer, <laughs> serial killer movies. <laughs> And, and and Star Trek and Star Trek. And Star Trek. That's right. And you know, next time we are we are going to actually simplify these intros next time. No, no, the... <laughs> we'll not simplify. We'll actually amp them up. Yeah, amp them up. In our contract, in our contract says twenty four percent of the podcast time has to be intro. So keep going. Keep, keep That's in... about five minutes of password. <laughs> Uh, but Dagger of the Nine, this is from Dagger of the Mind, Season 1, Episode 9. Uh, originally aired on November 3rd, 1966. Production code 11. So it was Whoa. the 11th uh, show that was um, produced. So this the one tire. was actually it's produced not- after, um, after a lot of the other ones that we've seen that were... It's it's They shoot them out of order. This is one thing we always talk about, and it gets a little bit confusing, but... They start, you know, they, when they make TV shows, they film them and then they sit on them for a while. <laughs> they do the special effects and they don't actually air right away sometimes. Sometimes they'll shoot a bunch and then the producers will look at them and they'll say, which one should we start with and which one should follow that one? And and in this case, I think they um, put it here because there was some, or there, there might have been some question. I read something about some question that the producers were saying, this is another episode of sort of a mad scientist a mad doctor who is using science yeah. and and mm-hmm. they were like maybe we should put a different one in the you know like because um you know what are what was the one what are little girls made of was about a doctor who was kind of insane and yeah. thought he was saving the world with his technology 
but then they put Miri between the two, the episode yeah. Miri. So they yeah. do. They and this sh- one is actually based on Shakespeare, Macbeth, and the title came from that. Yeah. But is anyone here like an actor who could actually recite the Macbeth passage that Dagger of the Mind comes from? <laughs> Uh, I think it starts space, the final frontier. Yeah. I think that well, that was from that was from King Lear. Well, I like it because it, it, there's a big section, but it's a dagger of the mind, a false creation is like the phrase from Macbeth and oh. amongst some other great phrases. So it kind of makes sense in this because it, once again, we've seen a lot of these episodes where there's a lot of false creations going on in this in this series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Proceed. <laughs> Just throwing in a little culture. You know, a little fancy Macbeth, Shakespeare stuff. To well, that is part of what is so great about the show is that they did have some... There was a lot of inspiration from the classics. You know, there's the... the um, Sometimes the ideas may seem a little bit corny or something, but they're actually very... They, they were pretty ambitious with some of their stories. <laughs> well, this one's... Re- I mean, this one starts with uh, with the Enterprise going, making a supply run to the penal colony planet of Tantalus... Five, I think it's called. Hmm. Tantal, yeah, Tantalus Five, and uh, well, colony. <laughs> so, where there's you know criminally ins- insane are you know confined for treatment, and uh, I guess the the director is this famous doctor, Doctor Adams, uh, played by James Gregory, who I always think of him as the uh, Matt Helms boss in those uh, terrible Dean Martin films from right. the sixties. <laughs> he's always I, I, I can't look at him with a straight face because he always seems like he's ready to just be kind of like this goofball guy but you know he plays a serious doctor in this one was he in barney miller or was that the other yes guy? he was in barney okay. miller yeah right that's what i remember that's what I thought. really he was yeah. in barney miller james gregory no yeah okay. and he was um, also in my favorite martian i think <laughs> he, was in, he was he was in tons and tons yeah. he was all over the place in the 60s great and 70s. voice he had a really good voice yeah but so they, they're bringing some supplies down and they're, they're bringing some supplies up you know they're transporting this box up to the enterprise yeah and I, you know <laughs> like, boy, oh boy this is so you know they have this force field around so they have to remove the force field so um you know so you can be transported down because they have this force field you can't get through uh so you figure okay this is a penal colony there's a, you know there's a lot of security so when they beam up this big box it's heading for in Stockholm, Sweden, uh, there's a there's a guy in it who just right. kind of comes out well, of it. It's like classified material. Do not open. Right. Like, <laughs> do not open. You put that on a box. Someone's opening it. That's just yeah. way it works. He probably spray painted that on there himself before he got in. <laughs> it did look like it. So this guy comes out and he's wide, wild, wide-eyed, sweating. He's all nervous and he subdues the uh, the guy in the transporter room and, and he. Um, sort of escapes and you know there's a couple of karate chops there's like three karate chops to the back of a neck in this episode and people just automatically just you know completely you know go unconscious i want to do that one person i think in the future that's going to be something people can do (laughs) he reminded me of the the uh of doc in back to the future had a crazy wild i mean he couldn't look more crazy yeah he's all like his hair is all wild he's looking around it's like okay you're kind of overdoing it just a little bit but okay we get it well, he's played by Morgan Woodward, um, who I actually thought he's really good in this because yeah. I think it's, you can't, it can be kind of comical, but he's kind like of? pretty freaking intense in this. I think yeah. you know, like yeah. when he's in when the sick bay. Anyway, he gets subdued because uh, Spock does the uh, the Vulcan nerve pinch after he's on the the the, uh, the bridge. 
And um, the story kind of goes from there. Why is this guy crazy? Why did he escape? And, uh, and that's what gets Kirk interested in going back to the to Tantalus to find out, you know, what is actually happening there. Yeah, so they turn, you know, they do a, you know, Mr. Sulu, do a U-turn, hang a, hang a, you know, a next opportunity to make a legal U-turn. Hang a U-E. Uh, <laughs> so Sulu turns them around and takes them back to Tantalus, and they, they, um, you know, they're, they're communicating, and it seems like, it seems like one of those things where you're going to, you're expecting them to be bad guys on the planet, and something is going, something is up, and there's something afoot. But actually, the the uh, doctor, um, you know, Doctor Tristan Adams, is actually really cooperative. He's like, "Yes, let's take care of this," and and yes, definitely, we'll do whatever we can to help. And a little too helpful, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but it's but suddenly they're real. starting to listening to starting to listen a little bit to this raving madman, and he's starting to say a couple of things that are like, "Wait a minute," he's he's he sounds like maybe he's just you know something has happened to him it sounds like every time he tries to say something he gets this twinge of pain almost like um you know alex in a clockwork orange when he he's been conditioned or something something's happened to him and he says that yeah. his name is dr van gelder yeah and he and so they look him up and they go this guy was uh adams's kind of right hand person at the colony so he's he's not a crazy person at least he wasn't he was a, a doctor there so what happened to him so mccoy especially you know is is has his uh, antenna up he's like no this guy we, we have to listen to what he's saying because something's up down there so kirk goes down there with uh with uh one of mccoy's um staff doctors uh, uh psychiatrist dr noel right helen helen noel, and, uh, helen noel. And so they, down there they met at a Christmas party. Yeah. <laughs> Her name's Noelle. Yeah. <laughs> at the Christmas party. And Grum and, and Kirk did not seem happy about it. Like he seemed kind of snotty toward her. Totally. Yeah. And also, I have to say, this is probably the shortest dress in all of Star Trek. Yes, absolutely. The shortest. I was like, when did they get this short? They're not this short. (laughs) She looked a little uncomfortable in it, too, in a couple of scenes where she had to turn around, and you could tell she was kind of standing up really straight and trying not to. Oh, yeah. It was was a little weird. It was a bit weird, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so Noel, Noel. Okay. Um, so they so you know, then, they're trying to figure out what's going on in this in this penal colony. And what's weird is all the uh, all the prisoners who are supposed to be these incorrigible lunatics are all walking around with these with these placid smiles. And it looks like the pleasure planet, you know, from like they're all on a cruise. They're all just sort of walking in the hallways and happy, and everything looks really great. And and uh, Dr. Adams is saying, yes, everyone is, is uh, under control. Everything is wonderful here. And it's obviously something's, something's not right if everybody's happy. If everybody's happy and content, there must be something wrong. They're criminals, for God's sake. And there's a woman who comes in who's like works with Dr. Adams, and her name is Lethe, I think, L-E-T-H-E. And she's this very uh, interesting-looking woman who's got it very placid, and her eyes are sort of going in different directions. So it was just like, what? And I don't like. Uh, I said, "What's she all about?" She just sort of has a couple of lines, and she leaves, and we never really see her again except for one other line. <laughs> so you thought she'd be a, some sort of major character, but she wasn't. She would be uh, a really good cosplay character because she's very distinct-looking. Yeah. 
very distinct looking. Um, but they go by this booth and they go, what's what's happening there? And there's a guy sitting in his chair looking up at this weird light that looks like it came, came out of a Mario Bava movie. I look right. at that. I think it's <laughs> yeah. like a, a Dino De Laurentiis a special effect, you know, yeah. this very colorful thing. Sort of a look and, to me like an ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, all right, we'll take this ashtray and put some stuff around it. Being a resourceful prop person, to me, that that screams ashtray. (laughs) (laughs) And it's sort of like, you know, uh, you get under it and you you, you turn it up, turn up the knob, and the noise gets loud, and you start, you know, um, you can put suggestions into people's minds. And, uh, in fact, Kirk tries it, and with Dr. Noel, Noel, and she says something like, we'll do something simple, like, uh, you're really hungry. And then she, he, she go, he goes through it and comes back down. And as soon as he's, the machine is turned off, boy, I could go for a big lunch or something like that. So I always remember this this booth when I was younger watching this. Like that was, was really intense, you know. Just the noise was like they did. They played that booth a lot in this in this uh, in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a big. Yeah. Well, this this is a fun episode. Actually, it's kind of a different one from a lot of the other ones. There's no aliens. There's nothing really space about it. This could have been. This could have taken place entirely on Earth. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's got science fiction elements to it, as as far as the sort of mind control thing that's going on. And as you know, as you can probably guess, there's this um, Clockwork Orange style um, method of trying to control people by in by suggesting that you are now calm and you are now under control and you will now obey and all those kind of things and it brings up those big questions about you know if you have a criminal is it really ethical to alter them like that you know it it brings up a lot of those ethics questions that that um people used to struggle with but now they seem sort of obvious to us of course it's unethical to sterilize criminals and things like that you know and then this i think was sort of addressing that idea of you know is it can you do that really and get and feel good about yourself can you even a criminal even someone like you know a a space murderer or whatever they have there in the penal colony (laughs) pirates or whatever and if you if you had a machine that could make a criminal into a really nice docile controllable malleable person is it ethical to use it well and also it's it seems like if you have a a device like that that it could be weaponized so quickly and i feel like they're using it for this dinky shit on a, a penal colony when they could change the universe with this thing by you know giving people options or or implying you know motivations they don't have to start wars or mm-hmm. whatever they want to do or as in the case of this which always happens with Kirk you make someone fall in love with you right. just, a <laughs> just a suggestion well he and didn't just she did weird did, obsessive thing <laughs> Dr. Dr. Adams did that right didn't he do that mm-hmm. to Kirk he told him that you know you are so desperately in love with with Dr. Yeah. Noel Now, Captain Kirk is going to have a complete demonstration. I want there to be no doubts whatsoever in his mind. You're madly in love with Helen, Captain. You'd lie, cheat, steal for her, sacrifice your career, your reputation. No, Doctor, no! 
Do you feel it, Jack? You must have her or the pain grows worse. The pain, the longing for her. For years you've loved her, Captain. For years. For years I've loved you. You must continue to remember that, Captain. Now, she's gone. Helen! Helen, don't go! I need you, Helen! Now, Captain, you must take your phaser weapon and drop it on the floor. And it was sad. it was kind of a sad episode because you see Kirk being you know kind of weakened by it. usually he's already in love with the with the woman in the episode you know of course. love love yeah but <laughs> in this one it's one of those ep- there's another episode that we'll get to eventually down the line where Kirk falls so hard for this woman and it turns out there's something weird you know something un hard to say it without giving the episode away she there always is something wrong there's something about her that makes it impossible to love her and there's there's a great scene in there where where spock you know kirk is just distraught and spock comes in and puts his hand on kirk's head and and says forget and it it kind of mirrors the time that he did that with mccoy yeah. when he said right. remember yeah. and in the movie in the second uh, star trek film but in this one, uh, Spock does that, and I think, it, in fact, I'm pretty sure it's the first time it was ever done in an episode is the, the Vulcan mind meld. Yeah, it's the when, first time. And that's, that's right. when he figures out this uh, Dr. Van Gelder is not this raving lunatic, that it's some that he's been made into a raving lunatic. And uh, he, he does it. It's really interesting the way he describes it. It's this thing, this very personal to Vulcans and very private, part of our private lives. But, yeah. you know, he proceeds to do it in multiple episodes throughout, throughout the <laughs> it's series. It's very private. <laughs> but I love the way he holds his hands around yes. the, the guy's face. It's very, like, you know, it's, like, really well acted, well done. Like, he's putting the hand, you know, fingers certain pressure in certain spots. And it's like, oh, I can see how this could work, you know, just by moving his hands around. So it's, it's and a I cool scene. that was a Gene Roddenberry idea because they were, they actually, in this episode, they were talking about having McCoy... Um, hypnotize Van Gelder and in it's interesting back then I don't even I don't know if it's still an issue but back then hypnotism was being taken a little was was taken a little bit more seriously than it is now and the idea of having a character in a TV series hypnotizing another character worried producers because they thought well what if it accidentally hypnotizes a viewer at home and they actually thought about that, and they said, it, we, we really can't have Dr. McCoy hypnotizing him because we run the risk. You know, like now when, now the issue is a lot of times with flashing lights, they say it triggers yeah. um, epileptic yeah. seizures. Yeah. But back then they were worried that if, if McCoy hypnotized him, it might impact some viewers. And so they, they thought, well, what can we do? Like some kind of truth serum or something? And Roddenberry, um, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of the show, actually took the script and wrote this idea in that Vulcans have this telepathic ability to, you know, meld their mind with another mind. And it, and it was used so beautifully in the series in certain ways, it, sometimes not even with a human. It was done with some other kind of a bizarre creature in a few other episodes really to really good effect, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's it's a nice um, it's a nice story, you know, a point to put in there and avoiding the the idea of you know uh, hypnotizing the audience. Right, <laughs> so, and you know. and the idea that was that um, that originally was one of the hypnotism ideas was that uh, Spock was going to hypnotize him, and then the question came up: Well, should we have? Mr. Spock, who's not called Dr. Spock, he's Mr. Spock, he's not a doctor, is he qualified to hypnotize this guy? You know, so they solved it. They had an issue, and they were like, how are we going to have him, how are we going to have him communicate with this guy in a way that reveals the guy's truth? You know, it's like, oh, some alien trick, you know, some alien skill and ability, which was really cool solution. Well, then they, you know, they figure out what's going on, and and uh, eventually, uh, Doctor Noel has to have her diehard moment and go through these uh, huge air, you know, air conditioning ducts to yeah. get to uh, <laughs> to get to the uh, the high voltage, uh, you know, <laughs> things right, right out of right out of like the Chrysler building or something. Right. You know? <laughs> the, the, like, we're gonna crawl through the vents. <laughs> like they have vents on this place. The ubiquitous large switch, you know, giant <laughs> switch. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so funny. But um, I, I, I enjoy that. We can talk about our commendations, you know, and anomalies and stuff. Um, anything else you want to talk about the plot? Because you know, that's um, um, we don't like too much away. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's basically what we were talking about earlier. The idea of the paradox of like, what is it? You know, is it is it a good idea to do this kind of? I mean, technology. A lot of times we consider our technology to be good. It's helpful. It helps us. Medical technology makes us healthier, gives us longer lives, but, you know, there's a lot of mental health techniques that have been used that have helped a lot of people, but how far do you go, you know? There was a... Right. All, I think a lot of this came from, a lot of the concern and the, maybe the story itself came from the idea, which was still popular back then, in uh, some, you know, mental health facilities where they would use shock treatment. And that's a scary name. I remember when I was a kid thinking, God, I hope I never have to have shock treatment. That sounds yeah. awful. And right. then, you know, the old Francis Farmer uh, film um, with Jessica Lange um, where she gets this lobotomy. You know, they used to actually do that. They would use these tools yeah. to reach in there and cut parts of your brain. And they were thinking, you know, back then they were thinking, well, it, mel- it makes them more docile. It makes them more controllable and gives them a better... A better uh, life, you know, but you know that happened of, right down. That happened right down the road from where I live. The Francis, Francis Farmer. Farmer, yeah. Wow, it's literally about a half a mile away down my street, uh, yeah. Rock Haven, where she was for many years. The building is still um, there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, well, listen, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back and talk about more about this episode, Dagger of the Mind, right after this. <laughs> want to do a podcast? I think you should. They're fun, but parts of it are kind of a little bit more difficult or weird for people who are creative if you're doing a creative podcast. So that's why we use Buzzsprout. They take care of all the things that are sort of the um, the business, yeah, the kind of business end of doing a podcast, you know, like keeping you listed on all the major podcasting platforms. Uh, they give you a website that you can link to people. You can get people to listen to you. They track your statistics and your analytics. Buzzsprout is a great thing to do if you want to do a podcast. And that's what we do here at Cinemondo. Highly recommended. All right. So, commendations, Kathy. (laughs) 
You know, what I thought was interesting, and I don't know why I found this kind of fast, so fascinating of all, but it kind of stuck with me, was the whole formal procedure idea, which I don't remember them talking about so much about, where, where um, they're claiming that... You know, Van Gelder claimed that he was uh, had a um, neural beam on himself that you know used it on himself and has, he scrambled his own brain, and so McCoy isn't really buying that. So he he has a doubt in it. So he puts it in his medical log, and by putting it in his medical log, Kirk has to answer to his medical log on his log. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because I'd never really heard that in Star Trek before. So it, it stuck out to me as like, I thought it was interesting where we went through the procedures of how they formerly are, their logs have to answer other logs, that they're kind of a cohesive document. I thought that was very interesting. I liked that. I don't know why that stuck out to me on this episode, but I thought that was one of the cooler things. I think there's a lot of that nautical, you know, military style procedure that you see in the show. And I think it comes from the fact that a lot of these writers and producers were, you know, the history, you know, World War II and Korea, the Korean War wasn't all that far away for them. And a lot of them yeah. served in the military and knew about military procedure and protocol and all that. And there's a there's a, a lot of those moments in Star Trek where they followed naval protocol. I like the back. I like the back and forth with McCoy and Kirk. I mean, like McCoy gets mm-hmm. upset with Kirk and vice versa, you know. And that's it's kind of like you know he's playing by the book. So their relationship is really interesting because yeah. they're obviously very close friends, but so that but they, they can get out each other's you know nerves and, and they get upset at each other fairly often. And so it's kind of cool to see that. And McCoy's uh, a bit older, so he sometimes you know holds that over Kirk. Like sometimes you yeah. get the feeling like it's like okay son listen to me you know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um I, I like that that was a, that's a combination of mine i guess i also kind of like spock has some kind of fun almost like spit take moments in this episode like, you, <laughs> yeah. know, you, know, you know like he has a great like you know lifts his eyebrow and goes problem captain after there's some relationship between uh between Dr. Noel and him, yeah. some sort of, you know, whatever they had. The, he just has a great, you know, problem, Captain, you know. <laughs> so there's some like, cute little asides that were thrown in by the the writer, uh, Shimon Winselberg. Yeah. Who, uh, you know, who, um, there's some humanistic elements to it. And a little, like you said, less science fiction-y here, more kind of like drama between characters. So that was some fun stuff. Yeah. My my combination is really similar to the ones that you guys just made. The um, I, I always like the performances in, in the shows. I always think that um, one of the things I think they just nailed up and down on this show con- con- consistently was the casting and the level of quality. Like the we mentioned the guy um, who played Doctor Van Gelder, the raving lunatic who who emerges from a box and. Uh, runs around and sweats and shouts and cries and suffers and um, the actor's name is Morgan Woodward as you mentioned and he was just I mean he was a little bit overboard and there's an interview with the actor where he said he had to go home and rest for like four days after doing this (laughs) you know it was like overwhelming and I've actually I've actually been on sets where actors had to do scenes like that where they had to go nuts you know and lose their mind and freak out and I've seen the kind of a toll that it can take on an actor it's not easy to just turn that on and then turn it off when they say cut and to get yourself into a convincing rage or into a convincing um, terror 
like I was on a set one time where there was an actor who had to um, appear to have been tied to a chair for days, you know, being tortured and beaten. And, you know, of course, the actor has not been tied to a chair for days. He's been over there sipping Cokes and coffee in his dressing room and watching television. And then, you know, he comes out to the set and suddenly has to sit in the chair and act like he's been tortured you know so it's not easy actors don't get enough credit we ne- people never talk yeah. about actors you know unsung heroes <laughs> yeah. Yeah. actors yeah. never get any attention <laughs> <laughs> but i've seen the way that people i mean I, I remember one actor in particular slapping himself going over behind the set flats and slapping the hell out of himself and running in place and banging his face against the against these you know wooden walls that aren't really hard and um and just slapping and slapping and running and running and getting a sweat up and getting his heartbeat up and getting his adrenaline going and then he goes and then from there he walks to the chair and they and then the prop people tie him in and it you know it has to be a straight line to the chair and then he's ready and it's like it's so hard it's so intense and this guy i think really did a great job of crazy on this show Morgan Morgan Woodward and also um, Mariana Hill the actress who played Helen Noel had a interestingly weird part to play here she you kind of don't know I feel like she did a really good job but I feel like I didn't get a lot of her motivation in it was she supposed to be was she supposed to really like Captain Kirk and she felt a little bit slighted by him because he didn't call her the next day after the Christmas party incident? Of course she did. They all feel that way. But, Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> or did she feel insulted by the fact that he made a pass at her? Because it's later implied that nothing really happened, right? right. And and uh, she maybe felt like she, you know, wished something had, or was she insulted by it? But she, I thought she did a really a good, a good restrained job in this because she has to also sort of sympathize with the with the doctor at first, and then she kind of comes around and realizes something's not. And you know what's interesting about Mariana Hill, the actress? You may recognize her from a really great scene in a movie that we all love, the, the Godfather Part Two. Remember the scene where? Um, where Fredo's wife is just railing on him for not being a man and all this kind of stuff and he has yeah. to get the boys to come take her away because she she's out of control she's unruly drunken starlet wife of Fredo that was her yeah. that's her oh, that's <laughs> funny kidding. I have to check it out now oh, that's yeah. funny what's your anomaly Kathy I, I have a couple um, I felt like the ending seemed a little rushed and like open-ended in a weird way like Adams dies and sort of like oh well and then they just kind of leave and like what's going to happen on this planet like what what they just sort of leave they cause all this havoc and they just bail and you're like what well it's okay. so true it's so true Kathy sometimes I'll look you know because <laughs> it, when we watch these shows originally you just didn't know when it was going to end except that you know the c- clock is coming up to the top of the hour but I can look on my Netflix and go gosh there's only two minutes and 42 seconds left it's still not over yeah it was weird you know? and yeah. <laughs> I think my main beef was I feel like once again they have a female character who I think could have been a really interesting 
addition to the cast in general, just have psychiatrists on the ship, yeah. which I guess they did later in other Star Trek series. But um, I feel like once again we have a, a, a strong female character who is then basically relegated to another Kirk love interest or you know a near miss who then you know they scramble his brain for her to be the love of his life, and just she just becomes another you know basically exploited for her sexuality and her beauty and you know it's like that's that's you know the female you know outcome of just about every character it seems like on this show so i feel like they introduce this cool character and they just kind of do a disservice to her by giving her that storyline which i thought was a little cheap but she does do some adventurous stuff you know crawling around in the, she's gone. and she fights you know, like, she does some fighting and well that's what i mean there's so much promise but yeah. then they, I feel like they could have used a character like that, and they just kind of left it. They just kind of went, bye. Yeah. I'm like, what yeah. about this big love interest? What's happening there? What happened? Like, yeah. is she gone now? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, well, I guess it's a loose end kind of category. Something else that bothered me about this one a little bit was related to your anomaly is the the Dr. Van Gelder character. We see him crazy, and I really wanted to see a little coda at the end of this episode where we see him normal and Ab- see him... Absolutely. It would have yeah. been so cool to see him come out with his hair done and, you know, <laughs> no sweat yeah, so on his face. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'm so no. sorry, Captain. I'm so sorry. And, uh, you know, just some some little closure, you know, with that character... They kind of imply that he unscrambles his brain, but you never know how or who did it or what. You never really saw the outcome. Like I feel like it was a, there was a. It felt like you were saying, all of a sudden, two minutes left, done, it's over, and they just sort of leave it. Yeah. Spent 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 too much time on that ashtray. Yeah. uh, (laughs) You know, back off the ashtray twenty percent. Give us some Van Gelder. My uh, my one uh, my one anomaly is it's a minor one, but I love the Enterprise uh, insignia. That Tantalus five uh, insignia on their vests was yes. like, what the fuck was that thing? His hand on a planet with so a was, dove, was, isn't it? Like a dove. A dove. I said that was like a ninth, ninth, nine-year-old did that one. It was very strange. Yeah. You know, I was like, well, what is that thing? Because I love seeing when you go, when like whatever the Valiant or another, you see the different insignias. I, I think that's really cool. I yeah. love that. But this one's like, man, I, I don't remember that one. And I know why, because it's so odd. That's it was just a weird thing. Anyway, that's a minor anomaly. But it's still a good episode. There, you know, like being tortured, and, you know, that was funny. And even when he came down, they're torturing him. You know, Adams, the doctor, he's funny about it. It's just sort of funny. So it never really felt really scary. So that was sort of fun. It was fun. Well, my my anomaly is a, is a pet peeve of mine that um, I... I imagine that if I was trapped in my office right now and I needed to get out of my office, I'm looking up at the air conditioning duct and I'm thinking, you know what, I don't think I can fit in there. (laughs) And it's very rare that air conditioning ducts are big enough to get inside of and crawl around in. And when you think about it, imagine how much real estate of your of your interior of your building you're gonna have to donate to this gigantic crawlable air duct sometimes those work you know like of course die hard we had a great air duct scene but that's in a large building and you can imagine that they have those 
they do have and those kind of things. And it's a little bit smaller. I mean, he's so, I mean, he's really crawling through yeah. there, so you felt felt claustrophobic. Well, and I never alien... got a sense of how huge the pe- I mean, I'm assuming the penal colony on the planet would be pretty huge. So I kind of was like going with it that they would probably have a very huge ventilation system with decent sized ducts. But but to me, I don't I felt like getting a scale of it. Really. It should have been a little bit un- more uncomfortable from her. Another for her, in other words. And the other thing is the the location of the air duct itself on the set was like right in the damn middle of the set <laughs> on the wall at eye level and it actually had lighting inside of it to show i mean it's almost like usually they're really good with set design and, and production design and uh, lighting and all that kind of stuff but I, I wish that air duct had been just a little smaller and maybe over on the other side of the room sort of maybe near the floor or something to where it wasn't like so easy and and obvious and they just sort of pull the thing off and she gets in it and crawls away and somehow miraculously finds her way to exactly to where she needs to go <laughs> I mean, and also you think wouldn't that make it really easy to escape that penal colony if they have these huge of course, yeah of course. you would think so yeah. Yeah. like don't make them easy or there should have been maybe some sort of a little robot inside there that's supposed to zap vermin, you know, that she has to encounter. Or some some hardship, in other words, to make it not so... I mean, all she did was basically slide along a little bit, and then she f- finds another equally gigantic air duct uh, exit, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. like a foot away from the big switch that she needs to pull. Sometimes... Sometimes the things were a bit obvious. The things, the props, well, the sets... You and mean the, like not open? <laughs> well, yeah. Or especially well, the, Kirk. Go, Kirk goes before she's, you know, before they start this hatch, this plan. He goes, "Are you familiar with hyperpower? Something like that." And like, you mean just turning a switch on and off? Yes. Right. You know. <laughs> Are you familiar with hyperpower uh, systems? And the no, other, but I know how to turn a switch on. Yeah. And the other thing in this too is on a similar note, you know, for, to the giant switch in the power center is the control for the neural neutralizer itself it's a it's got the same i believe the same knobs that were used in what are little girls made of when when uh, you know andrea and ruck are turning the big knobs on the uh, android maker machine the the incredible thing maker oh. and the same kind of big big knobs like giant knobs and they have giant labels on them and there's a there's a big indicator light that says off which is weird. Like, don't things normally indicate a light would come on when it's on? But in this one, the user interface is a little bit non-intuitive, I think. <laughs> when you turn the device off, the indicator light comes on to indicate that it's off. <laughs> anyway. Well, one of, one, of Star, one of Star Trek's big sponsors back, uh, back then was Fisher-Price. So I think that was... <laughs> I also wasn't quite sure how, how did he make this box this classified material do not open how did he get that box to be beamed up in the first place how did he get in it yeah he got in it like where was it placed so it wasn't too obvious but it got to be beamed up it was all very strange you just sort of roll with it i think i think i think lethe probably had a couple of scenes cut out maybe she helped him escape right yeah that would have been cool that's true yeah yeah she would do that so this one had a few little problems with me, for me with the set design and all that. But ultimately, it's kind of a fun episode. You know, it has yeah, a light, and it's got a good freak out, you know, good Shatner freak out scene in it. And um, yeah, those are always, always kind of fun. You know, yes, yeah, dagger of the mind. What's next? What's the next week's episode? What's well, yes, the Star I believe next? it's the Corbomite maneuver. Isn't that next week's? Uh, 
Yes, oh. it is. And that's oh, a yeah. that is a favorite yeah. of so okay. many people. That's actually the I first episode, the first normal episode that they filmed, the first regular episode after the pilot. Yeah. After yeah. the scramble of this episode, that episode, when are we going to air it? <laughs> this is second. This is fifth. This is fourth. Yeah. <laughs> now we're finally getting in a groove. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, I look forward to talking about that. All one right. Time. Cool. That's a fun. See you one. next week. Yeah. Take care, y'all. Take it easy. This is. Uh, this, the uh, what are we this time? Wait a minute. Starship Cinemondo. Are we the Cinemondo red shirts or the the, I don't the, want to be red cin- shirt. the Cinemondo criminals? Because we're we're having our mind the mind controlled criminals. Anyway, we're gonna uh, we're gonna neural neutralize ourselves out of here. <laughs> Try, I'm trying too hard. That's, that's way hard. Okay. Right. Cinemondo Bye. warping out.